Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, it's Hugh Ballou and Russell David Dennis again for the Nonprofit Exchange. And uh, Dennis, how's things out there in uh, Mile High, Colorado? Well, it's 50 degrees now. About this time tomorrow, not so much. <laughs> it's about that here in the central western Virginia and Lynchburg. Um, we, got, we got these old mountains here, you know, the ones with trees on them and look really pretty and green. So we have a special guest today, somebody you located. So why don't you um, ask her to introduce yourself? We're going to talk about evaluations today. Fascinating subject. I think a lot of us go too fast to even think about this, but it's time to slow down, smell the roses, and check in. So, Russell, take it, would you? Well, before you people start running away from your computers at a high rate of speed, I want you to know that we've got a data scientist that makes data science sound marvelous. Uh, And if you ever get to one of her trainings, I'm planning to go to some here. And that Stivel band is here. She is uh, with Research Evaluating Consulting. She founded it. She's a doctor, Dr. Annette Stivelband, uh, probably the youngest doctor you've ever seen. Welcome, Annette, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself so folks can get to know you. Well, thank you. Uh, so as you mentioned, I own a company called Research Evaluation Consulting. I work with social sector agents, much help them with anything related evaluation and data and so think of us as individuals who can help a nonprofit organization a school a foundation or even a government entity figure out if their programs are making the type of impact that they think that they're making and so uh, we work a lot with data so uh, we all love the numbers of course uh, but we're a lot more than that we really believe that when organizations have good findings, reliable information, they can make the best decisions moving forward. What is the first reaction you get when people hear you, when you walk into a room and you say, well, I'm going to have to help you with evaluation. The word data comes out. Do, do people look nervous? Do they look bewildered? What, what's typically the first reaction a person has when you talk with them? Well, that really depends on who the client is. Uh, I've had some clients where they get really excited because they know that with this kind of information, they can be more competitive for uh, grants. They have the communication that's going to help them tell their stakeholders how they're making a difference. And so uh, they're happy that someone else is going to do it for them. Uh, And then there's other organizations that might be earlier on in their journey and their process. And um, in those moments, uh, I know that I personally try to kind of simplify things and make it less daunting. Uh, I think a lot of people know the numbers a lot better than they think. And oftentimes they have a lot of great information that we can work with. So we try to make things as easy as possible for them. Yeah, the data science. Uh, it's interesting. I look at you, and if I were to pass you on the street and I didn't know who you were, probably the last thing I would think is that she looks like a data scientist. <laughs> How did you 
come about doing this? How did you choose this for a career? And clearly you started your own company. So what, what motivated you to do this work? Well, I've always been naturally inquisitive. Uh, actually, when I was a child, uh, my kindergarten teacher told my parents that I asked too many questions. So <laughs> I, I always um, wanted to know why things were the way that they were. And um, I, I think that this natural curiosity uh, just kind of helped me go towards paths where I could ask and answer questions as part of what I did. Um, I think also um, with my focus um, and REC's focus on nonprofit organizations, uh, I've been able to see how a lot of different organizations, how different families might struggle. Um, my family is a first-generation family here. We're originally from the Ukraine. So, um, you know, my parents really worked hard to provide us with uh, a really good life uh, because those same opportunities weren't necessarily there um, where they were from. And so um, I think that having some of those earlier experiences working for different nonprofit organizations as an intern and really feeling passionate about what everyone was doing and how they were trying to serve the community and also being on the receiving end where my family received a lot of I got really how being an entrepreneur was something that I, I didn't go to business school to to do that right uh, but what I, I think I, I, I'm the type of person who really wants to take risks to make sure that I'm living an authentic life. And um, I, I just really believed in what we do. And so I kind of went out there and we've been in business now for you over four years. A really great pay it forward uh, story where you didn't have the best circumstances starting out and you wanted to make sure that by working, that's remarkable. And, uh, but in that four-year span, you've done some remarkable projects and worked with agencies of all types of sizes. Uh, what are one or two that you're really pleased with the results? Well, um, actually, uh, REC worked with Habitat for Humanity of Colorado, and we conducted an impact study. And so this was an amazing project because this organization had a strong commitment to really understand how their services across the state of Colorado were making an impact in the lives of the homeowners that they served. And so um, I was able to put together a, a strong team of individuals who really got it from the, the homeowner side, but also we collected data from affiliates as well. We weren't just looking at the impact on those that were um, able to qualify for the program, but also from the affiliates that served um, across the state. And then we also looked at the financial data to really see the economic impact. So if I recall, um, we were able to estimate that um, Habitat for Humanity of Colorado contributed over $60 million to the state. And so that, that's a huge accomplishment. And um, because they had this information and they invested in this project, they actually had their most successful year in terms of donations and additional support because they could prove that they were making a difference, which was awesome. Oh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes it seems like the word impact is overused and people don't necessarily 
uh, have an idea in their head or what that might be. So uh, what what's your best definition of impact? Is that something that varies from organization to organization? Um, I think that's a great question. Um, what I would say is that impact for social sector agencies is how they're making a difference in the lives of the people that they're serving. And so um, impact is not something that uh, is measured in one second. It's something that happens over time. And so uh, with impact, it's some kind of change. Maybe it's a change in the attitudes of the people that you're serving. Maybe it's a change in um, their well-being, if that's something that your nonprofit organization focuses on. Or maybe it's really just um, trying to better understand what kind of mark that your organization is leaving. Uh, I actually do find that sometimes the word output and impact kind of get mushed together. And um, sometimes even funders are uh, encouraging nonprofit organizations to measure their impact. Uh, that being said, uh, first you need to measure your outputs. So because your programming and services exist, uh, what are you producing? So uh, for example, if you had an organization that provided after-school programming to at-risk youth, how many programs are you offering? How many classes are there? How many students are there? That would be an example of an output. However, the change that you are making in the lives of those at-risk youth over time, that's a better example of an impact. And so um, I think that's really what's at the heart of it. And why is it important for nonprofits to, to make evaluation and measuring everything that they do a priority? Well, um, I think that evaluation is kind of this secret sauce that can help organizations not just survive, but thrive. So oftentimes I've heard from my clients that, oh, I wish that we could get um, more grant funding or, oh my goodness, I wish that we had more people sponsoring our programs. Or, oh, I wish I knew better how we were making a difference in the lives of the people that we're serving. We need more information for our communication and marketing department. And so at first glance, it may seem like you should focus on the, um, the grant writer or the communications expert. And in some capacity, yes. However, if you really want to give them the materials that they need to share how your organization is making a difference, evaluation needs to be that priority because with a good evaluation effort, you can demonstrate how you're making an impact. You have evidence. So for example, uh, we worked with a low-income senior living community for a number of years and in partnership with another uh, consulting firm that focused on grant writing, we were able to give them the information that they needed to help this organization generate over $500,000 over the span of the last couple of years. But beforehand, they, they didn't have all the information that they needed to show funders that they were making a positive impact. Well, one of the things we sort of preach at Center Vision is strategy, and that's having that solid foundation so that you've got something to build from. Uh, what do you find is the most 
common type of resistance that an, an organization would have to the idea, especially if they haven't done it before, of creating all sorts of evaluations and measures? Well, I think it would depend on whether they view evaluation as something about learning or improvement or accountability. So if they view it primarily as accountability, then someone like myself, who's an external evaluator, might be that person who comes into the organization and may be perceived as that person who will point a finger and say, you did this wrong, or you did that wrong, or this program isn't working. And so I think people may, um, may view evaluation incorrectly in that perspective. Uh, but I, I think that it's like anything, change is difficult. And for a lot of organizations, they may not have had an initial experience with evaluation. So they're, they're still trying to figure out how is this going to change how we do things? Will this change my role? Will this give us um, the, will this lead to a reduction of programs? So there's sometimes a defense mechanism, there's fear. So again, um, when we work with our clients, we really try to assure them that we're going to utilize and leverage this information to support their organization and ultimately help them sustain what they're doing. And then there are some times where you discover that a program or a service, it's not working the way that you think that it is. And so in that instance, the best thing you can do is pivot. So for example, um, um, a story that I like to mention is that a number of years ago, uh, they developed, a, a, a group of individuals developed the D.A.R.E. program, and it was designed to reduce uh, negative behaviors in youth. So drugs, alcohol, those sorts of things. And everyone loved the idea. And so they had uh, police officers come into the classroom and communicate to the kids, don't do these things. However, years later, researchers like myself looked at schools that had the D.A.R.E. program versus those that did not. And what they found is that they had an increased rate of those negative behaviors. And so it's, it's important to make sure your programs are working the way that you would anticipate that they're working. And, and they did remedy those programs. They're now effective and they're making the impact that they think they're making. But it's, it's kind of like a quality control. It's a way to make sure that your programs are strong. How, how do we know when an organization is at that point where they're ready to, to evaluate what they're doing in, in a way that's impactful? Well, I think that if there's individuals within that organization that want to better understand how their programs and services are making a difference, that is a huge first step. Oftentimes, uh, organizations may not have full buy-in from all stakeholders, but as you have an opportunity to work with them and demonstrate the value of the services that you provide, there's a lot more buy-in and it kind of builds this momentum and helps develop more of a data-centric culture and climate. Also, for some organizations, they may already have someone in-house who has that kind of evaluation expertise. And so uh, those lucky organizations are able to ask and answer different kinds of questions that will serve the mission and vision of the organization. 
So it kind of depends on the size of the organization and really what they're hoping to learn and achieve in the next year or the next five years. Yeah, you know, I wore a lot of hats in one of my old roles working for a tribal government and uh, I was really sort of all over the place. And uh, one of the things that happens in, in, in governments, you have a change in in leadership and you know sometimes that comes with a wholesale change of direction um, so uh and i'd have them bring people in how uh, they we'd have questions on the table and we'd have a staff meeting and the numbers would sit around the table and make a suggestion which proved to be unsatisfactory so we bring in a consultant and they would pay them to do a report and the findings are eerily similar to uh what we've suggested. So is that is that pretty common? And that'd be a good segue into the question, when is it important to bring in an outside evaluator as well? Well, I think that uh, it really does depend on the organization. Uh, I think that if the evaluation is done well, uh, it's going to highlight those findings that are uh, maybe in alignment with what stakeholders across the organization may think, but it may also kind of shed light on some nuances that may not have been realized. I guess the way that I see it and thinking about that example of everyone being around the table is there's kind of like your truth and there's my truth and there's whatever the truth is, right? And so um, when you're able to to get information from everyone on some level, you're able to make stronger conclusions and feel more confident in the decisions that you're making. Uh, but until you do that, sometimes you'll have a scenario where maybe someone in leadership thinks that they know what the best plan of action is and other people will just smile and nod and it may not actually be what the best decision is for the organization. Yeah, and that's a, that's a huge benefit. And there's some others as well to using an outside evaluator. Uh, talk about some of the other benefits. Well, uh, you have someone that has kind of this objective external perspective and who is able to come in and work with your organization and be able to let you know what are some common trends uh, sometimes with a, an organization, there's a lot of moving pieces and there isn't someone who's able to look at all the different departments or all the different ways in which your organization is working with data and evaluating your program. So it really provides you with kind of this intel of what's working well, what needs to be improved, and you might have some unintended findings that might actually help you as make better strategies for your organization. Um, I really do think that evaluation when used correctly is something that can inform strategic plans or strategic directions, or sometimes you, know, you might need to make some hard decisions about your organization and it lets you know what would make the most sense moving forward. Uh, so it's, it's really an, a vital tool to um, kind of make decisions at the end of the day. I think when people run into a doctor who's a data scientist, that might be a little intimidating. 
for some people and they'll, they'll think, oh, no, this evaluation thing, this is going to be a lot of heavy lifting. What, what are some of the things that you help them do to kind of assuage that fear? Well, I will let you know I am not intimidating. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think building that relationship at the onset with the clients so that they know what to expect, they know what they'll need to do to support the evaluation. And then we pretty much do the heavy lifting behind the scenes. And so, um, you know, I, I happen to think I'm not intimidating in any way. Um, as you kind of commented on earlier, I think I do look relatively young, but uh, I can assure you I know my stuff. Uh, so it's really about that relationship. I mean, I think that it's one thing to be able to run advanced statistical analyses and be able to um, to do those sorts of things, but really it's about communicating with your clients and making sure that everyone understands what's been found and what it means moving forward. And the way that we approach things is we kind of, we partner with our clients and we let them be the experts of their organization and what their organization is accomplishing. They're subject matter experts. But we're the experts when it comes to the actual technical skills, if you will. And we collaborate. We work together. We may ask follow-up questions. We don't want to assume anything because those kinds of assumptions can kind of lead you down a rabbit hole. And so it's really an iterative collaborative process between ourselves and our clients. I think the intimidation factor comes from the idea of dealing with numbers. Uh, you know, when, when it came time to have your budget projections for the year, uh, people were hard to find. It's where'd everybody go? <laughs> this idea of making a budget and some other things, uh, it's the numbers that are uh, intimidating the people more than anything else. And uh, But that collaborative process sounds like the way to help work them through that. Uh, now, is there uh, a specific point person in each organization that it's usually best for you to work with, or does that vary between organizations? Um, I would say that it typically is a program manager. So for evaluating a specific program, whoever's in charge of the program is probably the best person for us to speak with. But in other instances, for more complex projects, for example, we might actually be working directly with the executive director. And so um, whoever that person is needs to be the hub of information so that everyone's not getting swamped with dozens of emails over a six to nine month project or whatever might be the case. Okay. Well, Brendan Brichard, a, a content creation expert, well-known one at that, uh, talked about three things uh, that would encourage people to use tools that they have. They should be easy to access, easy to understand, and easy to use. So is there a training component that goes in with the work you do as you're assembling these uh, evaluations? And, and uh, uh, are people open to the training? Or, uh, do they have apprehension? Well, um, you've touched on something that in my field is called uh, building an evaluation capacity. And so essentially, it's not simply fishing for our clients and doing that forever. It's really about 
building a culture and providing training or professional development or tools or resources that can enable the organization to do that themselves. And so with one of our current clients, um, at first, we were a lot more involved in the process. We were kind of diving in and figuring out what was working, what was not. But as time progressed, one of the things that we did for them is we actually helped them hire our replacement, an internal evaluator who had the right skills and who had the right fit, who could easily go into that organization and then be that internal evaluator for them. And so uh, I think that uh, it, it really is uh, kind of dependent on the client in terms of how much help and support that they want. But I know that I personally have led a number of trainings for different clients, and um, I try to understand what my clients' needs are and then develop tools or resources specific to them. Well, it's that work that they do with you that probably uh, solidifies the value that, that this process brings. And is there a typical learning curve, or does that vary by organization or type of project? I would say that it really varies. Uh, I think that for organizations who may already have a staff member who feels comfortable with the, the data and the numbers, it usually uh, may happen a little uh, quicker. Uh, whereas with other organizations, for instance, a smaller nonprofit where one individual is tasked with everything in the organization, uh, it might be a bit of a steeper learning curve. Uh, but there's definitely that passion and commitment to learn and grow. I've definitely seen that a lot. Yeah, and like anything else, I, I think that by and large, people in the uh, for-purpose enterprise space, another name for nonprofits, we're trying to work on the language a little bit, because nonprofits a tax status, not a business strategy. And... Uh, a lot of people have to step into this and, and, and do this. Like anything else, being optimists that we are, uh, we think it's going to take half the money, half the time, and half the number of people to get the thing we want to try to accomplish done. So what are some of the common evaluation challenges that, that uh, nonprofits ought to avoid? Well, uh, I'd say that uh, some organizations may rush into impact before they really assess whether or not their programs are being implemented as they were intended or designed. Uh, sometimes organizations think that more data is better, and in those instances, uh, they may have a lot of uh, poor information that is not being utilized anyways, and it's simply stressing out their staff, so actually too much data. Sometimes it's poor data, or maybe it's the, the wrong information is being collected or in the wrong way. Uh, so, for example, uh, a while back we worked with a foundation, and um, they were uh, looking at what kind of impact their program was making for youth. And they had these extensive surveys that they had designed, but only one question was designed to assess an outcome or an impact. And unfortunately for them, that particular question was not consistent across time. So they put a lot of uh, 
a lot of weight into that question and the, the quality of the, the data wasn't really where it needed to be. So, um, you know, things like that can, can happen. Um, as you mentioned earlier, uh, sometimes there's kind of a little bit of resistance to evaluation and data. It's, it's not exactly the sexiest of services that are out there. Uh, so I kind of think of my job is really to bring my own passion to the data and the numbers and really making sure that quality programs are going out there in working with my clients. And it's not, again, it's not about pointing out what's wrong as much as it is, you know, giving uh, organizations information to make good decisions. Well, Annette, it, it appears um, from the experience that Russ and I had that a lot of organizations, especially in the nonprofit world, do not spend time um, assessing any of these metrics or especially any of the outcomes or impact. And a lot of the uh, most individual funders want to see results. We call it return on life. And, um, and the grant makers actually demand it. So you've got to do some of these evaluations. And it would be good to set them up in advance, I would think, put the tools into place. And I think part of it is um, the decision, and you just triggered this, what will we measure and how will we measure it? How do we quantify that? So um, in light of attracting our clients or our, our donors, our members, and then we want to stay in touch with our sponsors, we have to measure uh, you know, eyeballs, how many eyeballs on their product and things like that. So um, even Russ, we, uh, I'm even working on an upgraded tool for smart goals. It's smarter, evaluate and revise. Uh, so, and then I've thrown a lot of things at you and I'm going to go shut up again because I got a froggy voice. So are, is your question, how do you determine what to measure? Well, the whole thing is setting up a system and, and do you do this? Um, is it, is it virtually? Is it a, tool that you use electronically, you talk to people, building relationships, and then, and then as you're setting up all of these metrics, how do you determine, because sometimes people measure the wrong things, so you talked about that earlier, so how do you have that conversation, how do you discern what are the right things, and what's the mechanism look like to, to do that measuring? Got it, so I think what it really comes down to is whether or not your organization is measuring outcomes that are linked with your mission and vision and goals. And so uh, it's one of those things where an organization needs to have a clear understanding of what those might be first. So essentially, why does your organization exist? And once you have that foundation, uh, you're able to kind of dive deeper into uh, what might indicate whether or not you're having the um, impact that you think that you're having. And so um, it really depends on where you want to focus your energies. I mean, if your organization offers one program, that would be the focus. So you would be thinking about what kinds of activities does my organization provide? What kinds of inputs go into informing those activities? What might be some of those outputs? And at the end of the day, you might have a theory of change. So essentially a theory of change is we exist because of A, B, and C, and because of A, B, and C, we're gonna have this particular impact. And so then it's a lot easier to identify what metrics will help you measure whether or not you had the impact that you thought you had. 
How important is it for the people that are out in the field actually delivering services to the nonprofit to be able to use the tools that you create to track the data they need? It's, it's really important. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I think that having good intentions about the programs and services that you're offering, that's, that's fantastic. Having that commitment, that's even better. But when you're able to quantify it and be able to not only see whether um, one person is having an impact, but rather collectively, how are we as an organization making a difference? That's really where the data comes in and provides that kind of um, critical information. Now, what those um, specific things may look like, whether you have paper surveys or iPads or whatever might be the case, um, that can vary and it actually should based on who your target is. Different, different people, different ethnic backgrounds, different ages all communicate differently. People are on different platforms. And Pip Pippin was here a few weeks ago talking about marketing and being in a lot of places, uh, as much uh, social media as you can get to sort of get that message out there. Uh, how important is it for people to have uh, uh, the big picture of the organization that it's clear what they're trying to do in order to build a good evaluation program? Um, I think that it really depends on how, um, how motivated the organization may be. Um, something that I recommend is starting small. And so maybe you don't need to evaluate your entire organization, but perhaps there's one specific program that maybe it's new and you need to find out whether it's working. Or maybe, um, you know, so for example, uh, we have a client that we're working with right now and we actually did something called a case study where they had a new program, they'd never tested it out before, and they wanted us to take a really deep dive into that one program because at the end of the day, they were gonna use that information to actually um, solidify some of the content and training. Um, whereas there's other organizations where they've been around for a long time and they're really ready to kind of look at everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever you might call it, right? And so at that point, um, there's definitely a greater need to uh, take a more uh, big picture look, if you will. That's for sure. Got to look at it all. Strategy, that's our, our go-to word. Um, what are some common trends that you've noticed in your work with nonprofit organizations? I, I know back in the days when I wrote my first grant, uh, you know, you could talk about, you, you could really focus on the emotion, but I, I think you have to hit both cylinders uh, uh, now, and that might be a little harder to do. Can you speak to that? Definitely. Uh, so uh, what I've learned a lot from funders is they, they want to uh, have the feels. They want to feel that excitement and passion that the stories bring. But they also want the evidence. They want the numbers. They want proof that what you're doing makes a difference. And so kind of going back to that earlier part of the question about what trends that I've been observing, 
Um, even just in the last couple of years, I've noticed a shift. I think that a lot of nonprofit leaders are a little bit more concerned about funding and resources. Um, so there's been a lot of cuts to the local, state, and federal governments. And so they're having to kind of pivot and find new ways to generate funds moving forward. But what that can mean is that there's kind of more pressure. Uh, so for example, um, I, I've seen how an organization that's been around for a long time, um, they, they went out of business. And that's, that's the worst case scenario. That's, that's what an organization wants to avoid, but it, it does happen. I've also seen that there seems to be more competition between nonprofit organizations than there might have been beforehand. So um, in Colorado, I know that we're uh, reaching out beyond Colorado, but let's use this as an example. We have over 20,000 nonprofit organizations and that's growing every single day. And so um, I think that sometimes people get really excited about something they're passionate about or their idea and they think, I'm gonna start a nonprofit organization. And I really admire that. Uh, and so forth. But sometimes what they don't realize is there might be another organization or another 10 organizations that do the exact same thing. So all of a sudden there is this amount of money that's allocated towards this one particular cause and now they're all fighting for the same resource. And so um, what I think organizations and leaders might want to do is to conduct some research prior to starting an organization to make sure that their programs or services are needed. And maybe they are, but maybe there's something that a niche or something else that they would be able to provide that would better serve their community in a way that um, is less competitive and more complementary and whatnot. Uh, Bernie Dorman. Uh, CEO of uh, and founder of CEO space uh, actually calls competition a virus and uh, so that that can keep people narrowly focused uh, how important do you think it is for collaboration and building partnerships and does that actually make evaluation easier I think that collaboration is key I think that uh, in this day and age, we cannot be experts at everything. We can't provide programs and services to every single type of person out there. And so it, my personal opinion is if you know what you're good at and you really focus on making those things the best as possible, then all of a sudden you're able to kind of go out there in the world and speak with other leaders and other individuals and talk about how you can work together rather than how you might be competing for the same resource. And I don't even think that this is something just for the nonprofit sector. Uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, I've noticed that some folks have more of a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset. I am the latter. <laughs> And so I have a lot of colleagues who are evaluators and we might go after the exact same RFP or RFQ and it's really up to the client to decide who they want to work with. But it's, it's really kind of, it's part of the way that the world is right now. 
And I do think that when you know um, individually or organizationally what your strength is, I think you're better able to attract the opportunities that will support you. So it's about working from strengths, which is one of the things that we talk about doing in helping people create a strategy. And one of our good friends, Dr. David Gruder, who is one of our wayfinders, uh, we did a podcast uh, a while back. So this is a plug for the Cinevision community. Go in uh, and uh, go to the nonprofitexchange.org and you'll find some podcasts there. Even better, go to the iTunes store or Stitcher and subscribe to the Nonprofit Exchange. We have those uh, podcasts available when you join the community. Community, there'll be more about that later. So there's a relationship with money and uh, that, that people have that's kind of an unspoken sort of thing. Uh, and a lot of people look at evaluation as, I don't want to do this, but it says in the RFP, we got to do it to get the money. <laughs> so how does evaluation fit in the nonprofit landscape as a concept? Well, uh, I think that organizations that utilize evaluation and leverage the findings, they can differentiate themselves from other organizations that might just be going through the same motions year after year after year. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, things are constantly in flux and constantly changing. And so even more well-established organizations may benefit from working with an evaluator to really make sure that the programs and services that they offered a decade ago or 20 years ago or whatever might be the case are still making that kind of impact that they think that they're making. And if so, great. But if not, maybe it's an opportunity to pivot and grow in a new area. Oh yeah, it pays. A strategy is not forever. It's a three to five window as we practice it and we're always looking at things. Uh, that's what evaluation's for. One of the earmarks of a high performance nonprofit is keeping things on track and that's the systems that they have it's the measures for the program how they're making a difference and uh in order to make a difference you really have to have a target audience to serve and one thing i've run across I, I, before and i don't know how common it is but organizations i had a talk about two years ago with someone in the workforce uh, uh the development community for one of the counties, we were talking about a program that that he created and he wanted to pick my brain. People were not accessing the program. And uh, I discovered that he had not really talked to the end users to find out what challenges they would have. Transportation to this facility uh, was among the challenges. Uh, do you find that that's a common problem that that people have gone out and created programs without gathering enough information from who the people are that they're trying to serve and, and how do you help them work around that? I think that it's something that I have seen. Uh, I, in an ideal scenario, um, as you're developing programs or services, you have conversations with those end users, you find out what's important to them, what might be the best way to make that information accessible to them, uh, and you, you get that connection. You might give them a snippet of what the training is or the program is and get their feedback and then refine. Um, 
but you know, as you kind of mentioned, sometimes there can be a disconnect. And so um, I, I think that what a nonprofit organization can do is if they have an idea, then as early on in the process, talk to the people who are going to be benefited by that idea and really make sure it's something that they, um, that they need or want. Um, I remember a number of years ago when I was in graduate school, I attended this presentation and um, it was kind of like a lesson learned from a researcher. And the basic idea here was that they had designed this program for single mothers to help them kind of lift themselves up and get better um, jobs. And what they found was that those women were not necessarily enrolling in the program the way that they thought. And after they did some more research and kind of talked with them, what they found is that when those women had some upward mobility, they lost a lot of the childcare benefits and kind of the supports that they had received so whereas financially they were making a little bit more money, they were actually losing money if you kind of looked at those other metrics. And so they had no motivation to go through the programming because it was a cost to them rather than a benefit. Yeah, Is that something that seems to be trending upward, that type of phenomenon, or has it pretty much stayed level or decreased over the last few years? Um, I think that nonprofits and leadership there, uh, I think that they're talking more with the communities that they're serving. Um, I think that they get that it's not just about what they think is important, but it's really about what the end users think are important as well. And there's also been a similar kind of dialogue as well um, in the evaluation community. Um, so I was part of a group of evaluators and foundations who had a really long discussion about equitable evaluation and what that looks like. And uh, we, we had a lot of really fascinating conversations on the topic because the way that evaluation typically is, is that someone from the outside looks in, but it's sort of something that we do onto other people rather than it's a collaborative process or effort with those that are being served. And so I, I do think that there are conversations out there about how do you include those end users much earlier in the process. Yeah, it almost sounds, I think people have a, a view like a really bad homework assignment or a long paper, which they put off to the end of the semester uh, to get done. That's kind of a view. Are there some... Uh, some instruments or methods that lend themselves better to gathering data from the people you serve? Um, I think that uh, it's the most important thing to know who that audience is. And so you would design a different kind of survey or identify a different survey for youth versus adults. Uh, education is definitely a factor to consider. Uh, it's usually a best practice to make something at that third or fourth grade reading level if it's something that goes out to the public. Uh, when you're working cross-culturally, uh, you may have a survey tool in English and then you need to translate it into Spanish, but it's not as simple as translating it word for word. It's about having that similar meaning so that the two items are equivalent or what have you. So I know something that we do is we work with a native speaker to 
for instance, translate a survey, but then we also have someone who's more of an academic and we have them work together to create that tool. Um, now, if you're doing something completely different, so for instance, if you're doing international research, uh, they may not be acquainted with going online and completing surveys. And so in those instances, you might need to conduct an interview, that face-to-face -face time. You might need to do a focus group. Um, it's really, it might also depend on who that population is. So for example, if you're working with a vulnerable population, I would not recommend a focus group because, you know, if you're in their situation, do you want to open up to a bunch of strangers about something traumatic that happened to you? So maybe it's more of that private one-on-one -on -one creating that space. And so there's, there's a lot of nuances when you're working with um, individuals. Well, we had Mary Putman from the uh, Reciprocity Collective on a few weeks back, and she connects uh, homeless with jobs. And she talked about uh, trying to get them married with other services and having a population that's both hard to track and then at times, I've learned from her that sometimes these folks don't really want to talk to you. Uh, I've had some experience with trying to talk to a man I've seen here locally and connect him with help. And there just seems to be uh, something there that he doesn't, uh, doesn't trust. So uh, are you finding that nonprofits that work with vulnerable populations are having trouble uh, reaching some of these people that they want to reach? I think that uh, it can be a challenge. Um, I think the most important thing is having that trust and rapport. And so um, there are instances where uh, maybe it's not someone like myself going out into the field to speak with individuals who are homeless. Maybe it's um, the client themselves doing that work because they've had those conversations. They've learned more about those individuals. They're able to say, hey, we really need you to participate. Your feedback is so important. And um, you know, you're able to kind of create that bridge. Um, and there, you know, from a research perspective, um, there's something called the Prematura model um, in Latin American population where um, if you're providing goods and services, um, you're not the one doing it. <laughs> you're having someone directly from the community getting trained, going in, and collecting some important information from those communities that you serve. Wow. This, this hour has flown by pretty fast. <clears throat> Haven't used my voice. It was going away. You could tell uh, Annette had been under the weather a little bit. I wanted to ease in a little bit here and have a, have a sponsor message and then let you have a chance to have a closing thought for people. And then Russell summarizes up. Russell's done a really outstanding job as he always does of interviewing today. And I've tried to stay out of the way a little bit. It, it occurs to me with your expertise, guiding people through the process. I remember the old um, Albert Einstein quotes, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. <laughs> And, uh, you know, sometimes we get skewed. So using your expertise and, you know, how to, how to measure things and, and what counts and why does it count? This is um, such important work. And we will list your website um, on this interview. And uh, before we quit, uh, Russell will um, ask you uh, what people find when they get there. But we're, we're our own sponsor today, the uh, Center Vision Community for Community Builders. If you've not joined the community, come in, get 
get your toe wet, just stick your toe in the water, join it for free, and you get Hugh Ballou's Five Pillars of Success. And uh, Annette can do a lot better job of helping you evaluate if you've got a strategy. That's the first pillar. Where does it you think you want to go and who do people think you are? Um, so that you go to the nonprofitexchange.org, which Russell talked about earlier to see this interview, the T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org. And then when you get to that page, um, you'll see the, the current episode and the, and the last episode. But at the top of the page, there's a blue button that says join. Um, join the community. There's forums, there's articles, there's interviews, there's our magazines, four years worth of magazines you can read online. So we invite you to join the Center Vision community for community builders. The more of us we have, the better it is. So Annette, what thought do you want to leave with people uh, before Russell closes out this really great interview? Thank you for being our guest. Thank you. I think my final thought is that evaluation is really something that can make a positive difference in the social sector. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something that's going to make things worse. And if anything, it's the opposite. It's going to make things better. It's going to help organizations have better and more effective programs. It's going to help organizations position themselves more for funders and donations and really as things change being able to pivot when they need to and so really it's what differentiates those organizations from those that just survive to those that actually thrive and then it's been a very short hour thank you so much for sharing your brilliance with our audience here and it makes a difference that is uh, the third step to building a high performance nonprofit is staying on track you have to measure everything you do, and it's well worth the effort. Uh, again, this is Russell Dennis thanking you for all of the work that you do out there. If you haven't subscribed to the Nonprofit Exchange podcast, go to your iTunes store or Stitcher, and you'll find us there. We will be here next Tuesday at the same time with another brilliant person that can help you take your nonprofit to the next level. We'll have information on the website. Please, please, please go out and reach, reach out to Annette. She's absolutely brilliant. Thank you again. We will see you at this time next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>